Your Total Wine & More store is ready to serve you with our always low prices on an incredible 8,000 wines and 2,500 beers. Want it today? Try our same-day delivery or contactless curbside pickup at TotalWine.com. Whether you're grabbing your favorite beer or pouring a glass to enjoy an evening on the deck, Total Wine & More has you covered. Visit any of our 12 stores in Northern Virginia. Your Total Wine & More store is ready to serve you with our always low prices on an incredible 8,000 wines and 2,500 beers. Want it today? Try our same-day delivery or contactless curbside pickup at TotalWine.com. Whether you're grabbing your favorite beer or pouring a glass to enjoy an evening on the deck, Total Wine & More has you covered. Visit any of our 12 stores in Northern Virginia. Welcome to the Indie Film Hustle Podcast, episode number 272. One could make money and get a career going with a low-budget horror film about killers attacking on holidays. It is always flattering to have someone copy you. John Carpenter. Broadcasting from the back alley in Hollywood, it's the Indie Film Hustle Podcast, where we show you how to survive and thrive as an indie filmmaker in the jungles of the film biz. And here's your host, Alex Ferrari. Welcome, my Indie Film Hustlers, to another episode of the Indie Film Hustle Podcast. I am your humble host, Alex Ferrari. Today's show is sponsored by Black Box. Black Box is a new platform and community that is all about financial freedom for filmmakers like you. If you join Blackbox, you will be transformed from being a worker to being a maker of your own content, and you'll be making steady passive income from the global market. Blackbox currently allows you to upload your stock footage once, get it to many global agencies, and then allows you to share that passive income stream with your collaborators. Whether you want to submit old footage that's been sitting around in your hard drives or create brand new content, Blackbox is for you. It's really quite revolutionary. With Blackbox, filmmakers can concentrate on making great content while Blackbox takes care of all the business BS. Just visit www.blackbox.global to find out more. And today's show is also sponsored by Indie Film Hustle TV, the world's first Netflix for filmmakers. If you want more information about the service and want to sign up for early access, head over to ifhtv.com. Dot com. Now, for years, guys, I've been preaching about how filmmakers can make extra money or even make more money than off their movie by creating ancillary products, ancillary services, ancillary things to sell off your movie, about your movie, even things that are associated with your movie. And I haven't seen a lot of examples of that. And today's guest, writer-director Drew Marvick, has done an amazing job of doing just that, creating immense amounts of ancillary products, which he sells off his 80s-style horror flick, Pool Party Massacre. And when Drew reached out to me to be on the show, I did some research on what his film was and what he was doing, and I was super impressed because he was evil even to make, you know, not only lunchboxes and T-shirts and hats, but also created hats about just the genre that he was selling uh, and was able to make money off of that. But more impressively, he actually made VHS clam uh, clam case copies of his film to sell to the public. And he knew his audience very well because horror fans, especially 80s horror fans, love, love, love those VHS 
copies of their movies is something that's so unique and something that's not happening very much anymore because there aren't, if any, uh, guys making VHS copies of uh, of movies out there for, for retail. And he also made a bunch of other products that really just target his audience. And he knew his audience very well because he was part of his own audience. He knew that community very well. And he's gone to tour with his film to different conventions, horror conventions, and he just sells out constantly. And it was a great inspirational story, and I wanted to get not only the broad strokes, but I wanted to get in there in detail and find out how much he's really making, how much money he's generating, what he's doing, how he's doing it, uh, how he was able to make his movie, which also took him over a year. That's a whole other story we're going to get into. Uh, But it was a really great story about a filmmaker understanding their audience, Building product for that audience and selling it to that audience, and uh, and it's been very very successful so far. So without any further ado, please enjoy my eye-opening interview with Drew Marvick. I'd like to welcome to the show Drew Marvick, man. Thank you so much for being on the show, brother. Dude, thank you for having me. Yeah, man. I you reached out to me ab- about your movie Pool Party Massacre, yeah. which um, obviously, if the Oscars don't um, acknowledge it this year, is it'll, it'll be a travesty. Yeah, I'm assuming I'm I'm assuming it will. I already bought a suit. <laughs> <laughs> but when I saw what you what you were doing, man, I had to get you on because I wanted to talk to you uh not only about the movie, but about a lot of the other stuff going on behind the scenes of of what you did and how you marketed it and, and sold things and stuff. So before we get into it, how did you get into the business in the first place? I, I I've always been fascinated by the business. I mean, I grew up watching movies and practically living in a, a video store, not literally living in one like you did. But mm-hmm. so, so it's always been a part a part of my life. So when I got to high school, I took photography classes and I actually took night uh, video television production in night school and got a, a certificate when I was seventeen that certified that I knew how to produce a video i guess turn on a camera got it yeah yeah exactly got I mean, it. that was really about it i could put it on a tripod too and what type of camera um, was that by the way <laughs> yeah the, well i would bring my parents handy like, cam? camcorder yeah, yeah the handy cam? i would bring it would that be the- high eight or would that be no it was uh vhs oh so you wow you old school yeah it was vhs and they had one camera at the class it uh-huh. was at a different at a neighboring high school but everyone in the class would fight to check out the camera. Uh-huh. So I would just be like, well, I don't have to fight to check out the camera. I'll just bring this VHS camcorder with me and I've, shoot everything on this. I've got, so, I've got my own gear and it weighs 5,000 yeah. pounds <laughs> yes, and exactly. it shoots in standard definition. Yeah. Poor and, then it's it, and then I could edit at home too, because we had two VCRs. Obviously that so. was my first editing system. Yeah. That, that was my first. Edit. Yeah. You hit record, you pause hit record pause and just keep going back and forth. Exactly. Exactly. My, my mom actually bought a, like a dual deck VCR for dubbing. Oh, you like see a, you, you guys, you were living, you're like, you're like silver spoons, man. Yeah, totally. Yeah. <laughs> did you have a train? Did you have a train in your living room? <laughs> <laughs> we did. We did. How'd you know? It was exactly, I am Ricky Schroeder. You are Ricky Schroeder. Right. Got it. <laughs> But, but yeah, so I mean, I, I did all of that, which really, you know, all that proved was that I had interest, but it didn't really give me much, many tools. Mm-hmm. And, and I, and I had this weird, I think much like people all over the country do, they, or at least back then felt like you couldn't make movies unless you were in LA 
it d- wasn't even a, a viable option. And even though I was in Orange County, California, like mm. an hour away from LA, that's a whole still, world. That's an entire. I still world. felt, yeah, I was so still so far away from Los Angeles that it it wasn't an option. Mm-hmm. Like I could never do it. So I kind of abandoned the idea with a with some convincing from my dad telling me that it was <laughs> oh, a dad's yes I mean, <laughs> he, he told me that it wasn't a very good uh career path and that probably 99 percent of the people that graduate from film school are waiters and but it's funny it, at the time I, I think i hated him for that like i'm sure i sat in my room like cursing him he doesn't know what he's talking about yeah, you don't steven know. spielberg makes movies why can't i yeah i'm gonna do it dad <laughs> But uh, but in hindsight, it was it turned out to be great advice because he told me he I mean, he was is a really smart man. And he said, look, this is what I think. If you get a business degree, go to college, get a business degree. Even if you want to make movies, you have to have business sense because you're going to need to sell your movies. You're going to need to market your movies. You have to manage a crew. He said, so no matter what, I'm not telling you to give up, but just get a business degree and then if you still want to go to film school, I'll pay for you to go to film school. You see, now that's 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 very cool. Yeah, I, 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 I still it. probably hated him for yes. that. That wasn't the answer I wanted. I don't wanted. want to know anything about business. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't know if that's a good impression of you or not when you were that age. <laughs> I'm doing the best. Of, I'm doing the best. It's I can. probably spot on. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so I, I, I took his advice and I, I got a business degree and – you know, I managed. Then I moved to Vegas to go to college. I managed nightclubs and was and worked on the strip for a while, and then kind of fell back into film. Like I, I just re- I had employees that were in film school, and I think that's what started it all. Listening to them talk about going to film school and paing on commercials, mm-hmm. and so then I, I went and paed on a on a on a local Las Vegas commercial, and that was the end of it. Like I quit my job. <laughs> I started PAing. I, I was only supposed to do it for a summer. Right. I told my wife, like, I'm just going to take like three months off. I'll get a real job again. But let me just live this life that I missed out on and be a PA for a little while. Right. And that summer turned into, well, it's been like 15 years. <laughs> and I still don't have a real job. Um, yeah. And, and, and do you still have the wife? I do. Oh, that's sh- my, you're lucky, dude. <laughs> yeah, I, I am. I'm extremely lucky, and I am assuming that she'll be gone any day now. And, and that's what keeps you on your toes, I think. Yes. <laughs> She's going to wake yeah. up and go, what, what am I doing? And that, yeah, that's what keeps you on your toes all the time. Yeah, luckily we're just so busy that I don't think she's had enough time to realize how bad she has it. <laughs> exactly, exactly. As soon as my kids are out of the house. I think a yeah, second they're like, you, you drop them off at of college, you, she's just going to turn you and like, this is enough. Yeah, she's like, oh, it's you still? <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. Um, all right. So, and, and and you've been doing, and what have you been doing in the business? You've been, uh, I'm assuming you haven't been PAing for 50 <laughs> No, years. no. So I, I PA'd through that summer and then actually had the intention of getting a real job again because I, I actually made really good money managing nightclubs on the strip. Mm-hmm. And I didn't make really good money PAing on Shocker. local commercials. <laughs> so, yeah. So uh, I I told the company I was one production company that had kept me busy through the whole summer, and I told them, "Look, look, I love working with you guys. You guys are great, but I have to go back to the real world and get a real job." And they said, "Well, hey, what if we can offer you a salary? What if we can make you our 
only our first ever salaried employee. It was a small production company here in Vegas. Right. And so they did. They, I mean, they couldn't offer me anywhere near what I made, but it was enough that I could live and I could be doing something that I loved. So I, so I took that leap and went to work with them as kind of, I mean, my business card said producer, I think right from the beginning, but (laughs) the only business where you completely catapult in status totally overnight, you're like, you're working 18 hour days as a PA, but then the next day I've got a card that says I'm a producer. So yeah, that's I think pretty, I'm, a, I'm I, a think I'm a producer. I might have. I think the first year my card said production coordinator. Actually, fair enough. I'll take. I'll take it. And then yeah, which was still like this huge leap. And then after that, I started, you know, producing some of the campaigns. There was it was myself and the owner mm-hmm. of the company that were producing spots, and so often he would be, you know, shoot days would overlap, and so I would have to run run a project. And so I think he was like, man, I should put producer on your business card. If I'm going to leave you in charge of something that <laughs> at least looks like I'm putting the right person in charge. So, so yeah. So then I did that for years. I worked, I worked for them and I still, I'm freelance now, but I still work probably 80% of my jobs are through Abe, Abe Froman productions. The uh, and, you're still, and you're still with the same company? Yeah. Like I said, I'm freelance, so I, I work for lots of people, but they keep me busy. It's about 80% of my commercial work is still through them. That's awesome. So that's what, that's your day job is, is yeah, so that's my, yeah, that's my day job. That's what pays my bills. Certainly making uh low budget indie horror movies is not. <laughs> Got you. Cause I, I mean, my, my day job was post. Uh, until I started directing more and more. But even when I wasn't directing all the time, I always had post to fall back on. So it, it's something, if for everyone listening, it's so important to find that day job, that thing that creates that revenue. And if you could do it within the industry, all the better. Of course. I mean, that's, 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 the I mean, that's a dream. Any, yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, having a day job, having your bills paid is the most important thing. So whatever it is, but if, if it can be in the industry and you can be meeting the people that you're right. going to eventually make a film with like that's and learn from, I mean, I, I did a little bit of every being here in Vegas, it's a smaller market for sure than in Los Angeles. So I, I was able to transition into like post-production supervising for a little while. And then mm-hmm. in, went over to the ad agency side for a little while as an agency producer. And I've kind of bounced around, and been able to do, I'm not great at any of those things, but I learned to how to do all of them. Mm-hmm. And so, and plus it's the wild west out here. So sometimes you just get thrown into a position, you know, there aren't, there aren't very many people. So sometimes a producer will call me and say, Hey, I need a teleprompter operator for tomorrow. Mine canceled. I'm like, I don't know how to do that. So that's okay. That's okay. We'll, we'll There's a manual. <laughs> yeah. Like I like you. I know you're not going to cause problems on set. You're easy to work with. I'd rather have you than someone that knows what they're doing that that I hate to be around. And that seems to happen to me often, and that's how I've learned a lot of the things I've learned. Isn't it valuable to be a nice guy? It, it completely. <laughs> yeah. It opens a lot of doors if you just don't completely suck to have around. That's absolutely true. And it's funny, as you tell your story, that's kind of how I got my start. I started in commercials. I, I worked at a production house for, for a while uh, and, and did the exact same thing. So... Um, it's a good, it's a good, um, training ground. It totally is. And, and PAing itself oh, is a great yeah. training ground. I mean, yeah. I, I learned a ton. I think what made me, I guess, more valuable as a PA and the, the reason why I maybe was able to jump up faster is just because I, 
I had one thing that a lot of the other PAs coming out of film school didn't have, which was customer service skills, I think is what right. I would call it. Like yep. I came from re- a retail background mm-hmm. and then customer a service-based industry being restaurants and bars and nightclubs. So I could communicate with people and I knew what not to say and how to say certain things so that the producers could trust me to pick up the director from the airport or the client even better mm-hmm. from the airport and not ruin anything. And, <laughs> right. that, and that actually was a big asset. And now that I now understand now the position that I'm in, that mm-hmm. there's certain people that might be great on set and I wouldn't want to necessarily operate without them, but I could never trust them to go pick up the client. You can't sit them alone in a room with a client because something's going to go wrong. Yeah, exactly. And so I think that's one thing that that helped that helped propel me a lot, also. So, how did Pool Party Massacre come to life? Pool Party Massacre. Jeez, what? That's a really good question. Why did I unleash this movie on the world? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) well, like I said, I always wanted to make movies, and I'm a big horror fan. I mean, I live I live for horror and have for a long time, and so I was a, a horror nerd anyways, going to conventions and wearing horror movie shirts every day. So it, it just seemed like natural progression for me to make a horror movie if I'm going if I'm going to make a movie. But the actual genesis of, of Pool Party was born from two things. It was one, being surrounded by all these really talented people on set that mm-hmm. came from a film school background who knew how to shoot and edit. They were a predator. Mm-hmm. They knew how to, as you say, <laughs> they, they knew how to do everything. Sure. And here, and here I am, I'm, I have a bit good head on my shoulders and I can manage the budget and I can manage the crew, but I don't necessarily shoot or edit. Mm-hmm. I don't have gear. I can't light the scene. Right. I, you know, and I had people that could do all of those things and owned the gear and mm-hmm. wanted to make movies. That's all they wanted out of life, but were afraid to take the next step, mm-hmm. or were already so jaded that they they've given up. And it was I was always the person on set saying, "No, no, no, let's make a movie this weekend. Who cares? Let's cares if it sucks. Let's make a movie." And then and I and they would all laugh at me. And so <laughs> it was kind of it was half. I was already ready to make a movie just to spite all of my friends, my my crew member friends. But then the 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 real match that lit the fire was um, my friend Brian Mills, who is one of those people. He has his own production company and he shoots and edits, does a lot of corporate stuff. Called me and said, "Hey, I just got a new camera. I would, you know, I'd love to shoot some test footage. I'm really excited about it. it shoots for it was a Sony FS7, mm-hmm. and he said, you know, it shoots 4K. The images are beautiful. So I just want to let you know in case you need it, a camera package." And he said, and also. I mean, if you happen to know anyone that has a script, I would totally shoot. I want to shoot a feature on it. I would shoot a feature for free <laughs> if somebody had a script that was ready to go right well, now. Well, that's 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 the magic word, isn't it? Hey, of course. And so the, instantly, I said, "That's so funny. I I have a script that's ready <laughs> what a, to go." What a shocker! Yeah. It's weird that you chose me to call that I happen to it's sitting right in front of me, and which obviously I. I I didn't have a script. I had never even written a feature script ever at that <laughs> oh, point. Also, you were completely life. BSing him. I love oh, it. Complete. I, I'm like, I have Final Draft on my laptop. I think I can make a script. So, yeah, completely BSing. And he he got excited. He said, "Oh, what's it called?" And pool, honestly, pool party massacre just popped. No, into my head. are you gotta be kidding me? It's just literally the day the day before there was a photo shoot in my backyard. Mm-hmm. A friend asked if he could use my pool for 
for like a sexy, a sexy photo shoot. And I jokingly said, man, it would be cool if we made a movie like we'd call pool party massacre about the photo shoot that they were doing. And I think so. I think it was just still in my head from that, that day earlier in the week or the day before. So I just blurted out pool party massacre. He said, that sounds like a great title. (laughs) Send over the script. And I, Said, oh yeah, let me just you know polish it up a little bit. Give me a give me a week. <laughs> give me a week. I polish yeah. it up a bit. Yeah, I haven't I haven't read it in a while, and give me a week. And, and he knows all of this now. I admitted it to him later. Sure. But uh, so I locked myself in my office for a week and wrote the first draft of the script and sent it over. And we were he had a month he had a month until he was moving out of state, so he had not taken any jobs, mm-hmm. and then that move got pushed back another month. So he's like, I have a like 30 days. I could probably, that's why he agreed to do this. He's like, look, I have no work. And so I pitched it as a a project that we could start that day. I mean, we have 30 days to go from me handing you the script to, you know, being done with production. So I was like, we're going to make it for $11. I don't know why I picked $11. Did you make this movie for $11? No. No, thank God, like I didn't. Thank I mean, you. I, people might watch it and think that I did, but I didn't. But I, <laughs> I mean, food alone, food alone. Of course. Well, but that was, I think it was just a gimmick. And sure, sure. I was like, well, you know, we'll make it for $11. I'll play like four roles. My wife will play four roles. I'll get my kids to play roles. Like, uh-huh. let's just make a movie. I just want to make a movie. Sure. That was really all it was. And luckily, he read the script and said, hey, let's maybe like up at a little up the ante a little bit and you know cast some actors this there's some merit to the script mm-hmm. so i did some rewrites and and we ended up moving forward from there and decided to spend a little more than 11 dollars. i think what was the it, final what was the final budget of the movie if you want me uh, asking the shooting budget ended up being six thousand all right okay yeah and then all said and done it was about 10 after post and after post and the the artwork and some other costs an aggregator and things like that. Got it. Got it. And, um, so, all right. So you're starting to produce How long did it take you to shoot the movie? Oh, six months, six months, but he had 30 days. Yeah. So then, (laughs) then his house fell through, which bought us a little more time. He was moving to Orlando and, uh, something happened with the house. It didn't pass an inspection. And suddenly he was, going to be homeless for a couple months and so that bought us a little extra time but we never intended to shoot it over six months that'd be ridiculous to actually make a six-month shooting schedule so then but how many actual days did you shoot i would there was i think there's 21 days if you look at the hard drive sure look at the cards i think it's 20 some of them were probably two hour days but okay i think it boiled down to 21 total shooting days Mm -hmm. over the six-month period but it was just it was, it was mostly because we were working around people's schedule. I still couldn't, even with $6,000, I couldn't afford to pay all the actors. Um, I, all I could give them what I could, of course, give them food mm-hmm. and, and the usual like IMDb credit. credit and all those things. Right. But so I, but I also, because I have acted in plenty of things with those same parameters, one thing that most people don't extend to me, at least in the past was that I wanted to be as easy to work with as possible since I'm not paying them. They're doing, I, fig- I treated it like they're doing me a favor instead of I'm doing them a favor, which for some reason, some no budget filmmakers still think that everyone on set is 
you know, that they're doing them a favor by no, letting them. Oh, I've them never seen that, that before. Yeah. I have no idea. No, this is shocking news. Yeah, shocking. I'm sure. Sure. You mean an egocentric independent filmmaker? <laughs> yeah. No. It's, it's crazy. It's so, crazy talk. It's crazy talk. But we'll continue. For, yeah. So fortunately, <laughs> I've been on enough of those sets that that from day one was something that I wasn't going to allow to happen. So I I was as flexible as I could be and I worked around everyone's schedules. And in the, as working actors, they they fluctuated a lot. And of course, when they called and said, hey, I have a paying gig all of a sudden – this weekend can we reschedule i would always say yes you know like, yeah of course you got to pay the bills i get it but you know let's do our best to find some time so that's why it grew into this six month production which then every day longer it goes you get more problems my deep mm-hmm. brian who ended up shooting and editing the movie did move to florida halfway through mm-hmm. so that created a new problem my lead actress moved to la that created some more problems. Another one got a boob job halfway through the movie. Like there's all these things that are, that, that start happening the longer that it takes that become like a comedy of errors. Right. Hair, hair starts growing and changing completely. Yeah. People lose weight. I mean, our, my lead actress also lost a bunch of weight. She had a breakup. And so she, when she watches the movie, she was like, Oh, it's so funny. You can see the point where, where like i broke up with my boyfriend or, how long know, does this movie take see, place what's the time frame in the in, in the actual movie it's like a day I, it, no and comically it takes place in it takes place in real time so it's, it's even an, less than a day so it's an hour and a half or something. yeah so it's like it takes place in 80 <laughs> minutes and in, and people are losing weight there's flowers <laughs> blooming behind like conversations i mean that is absolutely br- weather's changing <laughs> oh completely we start we start shooting on black friday the day after thanksgiving right and shot until June. So here in Vegas, we went through freezing, like yeah. sub freezing temperatures up to a hundred and over a hundred degrees by June. So, I mean, it dramatic changes. And some of those, because of how people scheduled work, mm-hmm. schedules work, we were shooting, you know, conversations, dialogue scenes, four months apart. Oh, geez. That's so, brilliant. But luckily, if, if I was making a serious movie, this could have been, extremely detrimental but luckily i was making this no budget love letter to 80s slasher film so i could embrace in a way some continuity errors and i i wanted to even include some and and just make it this what i i, I kept saying that this is if i could take my 15 year old self mm-hmm. and bring him to the present time and tell him he could make a movie this is the movie that he would make based on what he was into what I was into when I was 15. That's pretty cool. So that was kind of what I was going for. So I was embracing some of the, you know, the continuity errors and the mistakes. And there's a plenty of mistakes and errors that I aren't supposed to be there too. But, but I was able to embrace it. Whereas if I was making a, a very serious drama, having like trees change in a, during a conversation would probably ruin someone's life. Right. But not, but not mine. It didn't matter. It didn't matter to me. I thought it was funny and I just wait. Like I am still dying for people to, to send me messages about continuity errors. I love it. So I, because you said something, we, we were talking about egocentric directors and I have to, can I tell you a story real quick? Sure, please. This is, this is one of my favorite stories I've ever, of, of, of an absolutely madman director. Uh, we had just finished shooting a, a short film and in that short film, uh, my partner and I had purchased a whole bunch of uh, airsoft guns. 
So the, you know, the airsoft guns that actually look like real guns, but they, you know, they're great prop guns. Yeah, and they're cheap, and they can have you know blowback because you have air canisters and everything. So this production heard about it, and they're like, "Hey, can we rent the guns from you?" I'm like, sure. So we showed up one night where they were shooting some action sequence inside of a of a bar, and this was like low budget, you know, you know, I don't know, twenty thirty grand, you know, for a full feature. This is back in Florida, and then we get into this RV. And they're like, yeah, just go go to go to his trailer. The director will be with you in a minute to check the guns out. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> we're already we're already starting off in an interesting situation. I swear to God, dude, this guy must have been ten years old. <laughs> walks in. I'm not kidding you. Walks in with a director's finder around his neck. Nice. I mean, the only thing he was missing was a fucking monocle. <laughs> yeah, it was in his it was in his pocket. I swear. So he takes. I never will ever forget this. He takes a shotgun that we brought him. Right, this this fake shotgun. Pulls it up to his eye and busts open the director's finder <laughs> and looks down the barrel of the gun in this kind of pompous arrogant way goes this this will do and i'm like oh my god this guy is gone and the movie i don't even know whatever happened to the movie we rented it i mean we rented the gear to him i don't care but i just never forgot that guy i wonder whatever happened to him Yeah, I want to know too. Yeah, when you find out, will you let me know? I mean, seriously, I didn't mean to cut off the stop the interviews flat like that, but I just had to put that out there into the universe. I needed that story to go out there. So whoever's yeah. listening and has a director's finder, which by the way wasn't a proper director's finder, it was like a 16 millimeter director's finder you would get in film school back in the 70s. So it had no relevance to any lenses sure. you might be using on that set. <laughs> <laughs> it was just to show that you were – I have one of those. I bought one because I like – I think I bought one subconsciously because of this guy to put on my shelf. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> anyway, back to the interview. That was a, that was, that was just a quick uh, inter- interlude. Um, so so you had the budget. It was about ten grand. How did you handle post? Did you edit, you, you edit yourself? What did you cut on? Uh, so uh, Brian, who shot the movie, did the post as well. Okay. And uh, of course, originally we lived in Las Vegas together and and worked together, and we would have sat together throughout it. But unfortunately, he moved to Orlando mm-hmm. before we could finish the movie. So so he cut it in Orlando, um, and then I would just Skype in and phone in, and we just had to have our you know, post sessions that way. Yeah, exactly. Which was great. I mean, he knew we, you know, we were friends in, in real life and I had known each other for a while. So he knew what I was getting at. We're, we're somewhat like-minded. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so, so he knew what I was trying to do and then I could, we could work off notes and I mean, they'd actually worked out really well. I, I don't think in, in any other circumstance with two other people that it would necessarily work as well as it did, but it happened to, we worked really well together so, so I mean, there are plenty of times where I had to like get him to trust me. I'm like, Brian, no, this is real. Like, I really want it to do that. And he's like, no, that doesn't make sense. That's stupid. I'm like, no, I know it's stupid. <laughs> I'm not, 
trying to tell you that it's not stupid. I'm just trying to tell you it's what I want. Now, when you finished the film, um, did you have a marketing strategy? Did you have one going before? Because you do have a business degree, so there's a lot of pressure on you. I do. So you'd think (laughs) that I would know what I was doing. But for some reason, I took the opposite approach and had no strategy (laughs) at all. And I was aware of good strategies and I have done research and, <laughs> and I knew what I was supposed to do. And I think that's why I didn't do it because I knew it was is what I was supposed to do. Mm-hmm. So really my only plan going into it from day one was that I was going to reject all distribution offers. If assuming that there was even one, I was about and, to say you, you're very self distribute. <laughs> like okay. That was my, I mean, and I live in this world of low budget indie horror. So I did actually know that there were people that no matter what I made, I could give them, I could hand the movie to and they would distribute. Right. I mean, I, I was aware of people like, like Lloyd. At oh, Trump. like I could, could call, I could, Lo- you could call I Lloyd could right hand now. The movie to him and say, this is yours for free. And I'm sh- no matter what it is. And he would probably release it in some fashion. Absolutely. And so, so I knew, and then there's plenty of companies, you know, sub trauma that would do the same. So, is there such a thing as subtrauma? Oh God, yes. <laughs> you just wait. <laughs> One day you're going to go down a wormhole. <laughs> I've been. To, I've been. I actually went to a couple of horror festivals. Uh, you know where Robert England and all those guys go on to sign and stuff like that. We were promoting our short film, and it, yeah, it's an interesting universe. It, it's it is, and that's where I live. I live, <laughs> I live in that universe, and I am running for mayor. Yes. So <laughs> that's my those are my ambitions. If, so if you want to put that into perspective, fair enough. Uh, fair enough. That, that, that's where I'm at. But uh, so going into the movie, I the only thing I knew is that I wanted to self distribute, not because I thought it was a good business plan or, or a smart idea, but because I wanted to learn as much as I could about the process of taking a film from you know shooting to delivering into market. Mm-hmm. Even if it's on the small scale of this micro budget, I wanted to know everything about it. And I figured the only way I could learn is if I did it myself. Even if it's through failure, mm-hmm. I'm gonna I'm gonna learn great. the most that way. So that and it was like treating it like my film school mm-hmm. in a way too. And a six thousand dollar lesson, you know, as far as film goes, is pretty cheap. I'm getting off pretty even if I fail cost me six thousand dollars to learn all this. Then yeah, exactly. I mean, it it's not it, the, the budget. If you lose it. Which you won't. You'll make something, but it's it's not gonna you're not gonna lose your house. Exactly, and it was even and Brian became my producing partner. He not only shot and edited it, so we actually split the costs and and so I mean we were each that it was easy to convince him of that as well because we were each only in three thousand mm-hmm. dollars. So so what and I promised that I would make him his three thousand dollars back over the next hundred years, and, <laughs> and he and he believed and he believed me. So <laughs> so I. That was the only thing I knew is that I wanted to self-distribute and, and, and I did. And I was lucky enough that because of the artwork. Yes. By, by the way, everybody listening, the artwork on this is amazing. It's honestly one of the reasons why I asked them on the show. Cause it, that, that artwork showed such a level of professionalism, even though the movie obviously doesn't, but the- no. <laughs> not, an ink, not an ounce. <laughs> <laughs> no, but in all seriousness, though, I, like I saw that and I said, well, it, I know that he understands marketing because you knew who your core audience was and you designed that poster and that artwork for that audience. Like it, it literally could sit up on a shelf with any other 80s horror movie without even thinking twice. It, you think it would cost 
you know, millions of dollars comparatively to some of those movies back then, purely on the artwork. So it was a wonderful, uh, wonderful piece. So I'll have a poster. I'll have the poster in the show notes, guys. Yeah, awesome. And that that was part of my plan, like embracing the self-distribution. I made kind of a a checklist of the things that I thought were important if I'm going to market. And I'd also heard all these stories about how, you know, if you give sell your sell your film and then they you still have to market it because if you're on this level, they're not going to put any money into marketing. Mm -hmm. So you end up just marketing it yourself anyway. So I thought if I'm going to have to do all the work, then I might as well be in, you know, in charge of its destiny and be able to pick the artwork Mm -hmm. instead of putting that in someone else's hands. So, so yeah, so I had this list of things and one of them was to have amazing artwork because that is how I remember the movies from from my past and from my childhood is based on the VHS box art. Mm-hmm. And that was how I picked movies. I mean, that's I didn't know what they really were, but it was the title and, and the art. So I knew right. the art needed to stand out and it and I wanted it to hit my target audience. So I found this guy, Mark Schoenbach, who had done a bunch of indie horror art already. I mean he was working a working artist in the horror world and I tracked him down and begged him to let me hire him to do the the art and we we bonded right away and he got what I wanted and and this turned into what you see and what you were just talking about so it's so important i can't express enough to everyone listening how important that art is it, 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 in in the trailer uh, as well but that art is the first thing that people will see it's instant you could put it up on a facebook post uh, or a twitter or instagram and people will see that more than will watch the trailer just like the poster will be the most thing everybody will watch, then the trailer will be the next thing, and then finally maybe the movie. Um, but those two pieces of marketing are so important, and especially that that poster, and that's what caught my eye. Well, I think it's what, what I mean, it's the only reason I think anyone gave the movie a chance, really, honestly. Mm-hmm. I mean, that it's, and that's, and I knew that going into it, so that's why I treated it like this. I mean, the movie itself, you know, some people seem to enjoy it. It's a, it's a wacky little $6,000 slasher film. Mm-hmm. But I, in order to get, I knew I needed people to give it a chance because it, it's in a sea of other no budget and low budget horror sure. films. Oh, and, and most of them are right. slashers too. Mm-hmm. So if it's going to stand out, it's going to have to be the first things first is the art, is the artwork. And so. And, and whether you know it or not, from my perspective, looking at it uh, objectively, by creating that artwork, you stood out because you actually went into a subgenre of a subgenre of horror. Because you're not just making a slasher flick, you're making an 80s style slasher flick. Because anyone who knows anything who sees that poster says, oh, that's an 80s slasher flick. And you, were, and you were targeting that core audience, which, as I've been saying for years, the riches are in the niches and you just kept kind of going down. So you didn't just make a horror movie. You just make a slasher movie. You actually made an 80 slasher movie. So you kind of really, you know, focused where, where your core audience was and, and that's, and where you live, where you are running for mayor. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yes. My constituents, your constituents. It's, so you, yeah. but you knew who your audience was because you are that audience. I did. And that's, and I hoped that, that that was accurate. Like I, I, I felt that these people, that I was one of these people, if I was going to lump my, my audience in that, that I'm one of them. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of just did what I thought I would want to see and what I would want to give a chance to. And so, and luckily it, it, it worked, I guess. I mean, that's one advantage of actually being a part of 
your target audience and not just trying to predict what a group of people might might be into. Like, I mean, I had that had that advantage. So you created. Uh, I'm assuming when you say self distribute, you were all physical product. Um, physical, uh, no, physical and digital. I, okay. I went the aggregator route. Okay. And um, I ended up working with a company out of Canada called Juice. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, I, I'm assuming that they were much like most of the other aggregators. Sure, they're an aggregator. Talk about with other filmmakers. Yeah, they got the movie. I mean, we did Amazon ourselves because that was that was easy enough to do. But they got the movie onto iTunes mm-hmm. for us, and it was great. It cost us, you know, about a thousand dollars, and and we got the movie on, and and then then but physical was what I was focusing on because, because that's I what. Want. But that because your core audience wants physical. Yes, the people like me that want to have it in in physical forms and even multiple like opposite ends of the spectrum. There's the people like me that collect Blu-rays and want. And want a real Blu-ray too. They want it to be a replicated Blu-ray disc and not a, a, a Blu-ray, you know, a, a duplicated disc. Mm-hmm. And they care about the quality of the disc and the quality of the special features and all these things. So mm-hmm. I put a lot of energy into that and making sure that it fit that niche. But then also I put it out on VHS because that's the other end of the spectrum. So, so and we need to stop right there because I I saw the VHSs. And you had it in pea yellow, if I remember correctly. Yes, pea in the pool yellow. Pea in the pool yellow and algae green. <laughs> yes, as colors, and these VHS and there and it wasn't like an it, it was like a clam case. Yeah. Old, so basically, the old Disney yep. style movies, but with pool pool party massacre in it instead. I have to know where in God's green earth in 2017 when you made this did you get these made? Because I need one for every movie I ever make, regardless of genre. I just need one personally. Yeah, no, and I agree that you do, for <laughs> sure. You need a VHS for every movie that you make. Yes. And I was lucky enough that I had bought – there are people out there that are still making VHS. Uh, I mean in their in their homes or in their small studios. But but they take the time to put put films on and make custom labels and custom inserts for the, for the boxes or even people that are making custom – cardboard slip cases and everything. Insane. And and so I had met several of those people at conventions and even bought bought VHS from them. A lot of them just make boxes for movies that that have recently come out mm-hmm. that, that they don't have the rights to or anything, but they're making them as art. For themselves. Yeah, for themselves or and then probably some of them sell them, but they sell them at conventions and stuff yeah, it's like art. that. It's art. And so as art, a lot of them don't even have the movie in it. It's just the clamshell. And then some of them I'm sure have the movie as well. But that's how I had <laughs> found out a lot about a lot of these people. Sure. And just reached out to to a couple of them. Mm-hmm. And luckily one of the first ones to get back to me is this this company, Magnetic Magic Rentals, is mm-hmm. what they're called. And and they were great. And from from day one, they said, "Yeah, we would love you know." How much? Say, how much did it cost, dude? I have to know these things. So I just pay per tape, uh-huh. and with the clamshell and the art and everything, it ends up being around six bucks. No, but wait a minute. Hold on a second. It's six bucks if you buy one, or if you buy a thousand. Oh no! If I'm buying, I'm buying them in bulk. Like yeah, in bulk. Oh, okay, so how much? So, all right, so how much is so, how many? How many? Yeah, because so I remember I saw those pictures; they were huge. A lot, a lot of them you had. Yeah, well, I've gone I, originally. I did. I want to say a run of thirty on black VHS mm-hmm. because that's what was readily available, and I thought I needed on VHS, and I know there's at least 
three or four other people out there that are going to really want it on VHS. Mm -hmm. So I'll get some, it'll be great. And then, and I'll have them for years and I'll be able to take them with me to conventions. And they ended up selling out in, in a day, I think online when I think when I released them online, they sold out the first day, but this is before the movie had any traction or anything. Purely from VHS. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And based on the art, that art looks so good in a clamshell that there are people, I mean, I think there were people that were buying it that thought it was an old movie, that genuinely <laughs> thought it was a movie from the 80s. That they had never heard of before. Sure. Or there's people that got it and then went, oh my God, there's actually a movie in here. I thought it was just art. So I'm, I'm sure probably it was all of those things. So mm-hmm. then I had to make more, but I had made the mistake of saying that it was a limited edition of 30. <laughs> so then I needed to find and you can't, And you can't go back on that. No, I, I would never do that. So I had to find another color of VHS cassette and track those down and get them to the guy that was duplicating the tapes for me. And then suddenly we had a second color. And I, I think the second one was red. And so now we've gone through uh, like nine waves of different colors. Cause every time I do one, I assume no one's going to buy them. I'm like, okay, now everyone that would want it has one. So, right. but then they sell out again, almost like in a day. And then I, so we're now onto the algae green which has been our largest edition so far. It's that made 79 of them, one for every minute of the movie. And so I how many of the, these have you made, dude? How many of the VHS have I made? Yeah. Total VHSs. I, oh, I, I haven't totaled it, but I mean, it's definitely in the hundreds and you've sold all sure. it. And what do you sell them for? Uh, I sell them for 20 bucks. Same as the Blu-ray. That's insane. And it's a little bit more expensive to make the, the VHS and the Blu-rays, right? Yes. Oh yeah, Definitely. Yeah, it costs a little bit more to make. And there's a little bit of time and effort that goes into them, too, on my end. like I actually go to thrift stores and buy old Disney movies on the clamshells and look for good clamshells that don't have cracks in them. Mm-hmm. And, but have a little bit of wear. Cause it, and then I have to bring them home. I have to scrape you know the gum off them from the Goodwill sticker and mm-hmm. prep them and get them ready. And so, so I have like... If I oh, kept so, them. But so you don't have the cases? You actually go out and find the cases for them? Yeah. I don't think that anyone makes cases like that anymore. Holy cow. Yeah. So I, so I go, and so does uh, Matt magnetic magic. The, the guy that runs that, he sends them with cases too. And he does the same thing on his end, but sometimes they get damaged or some, or maybe some of the cases that he sends his standards are a little different because we want them to have wear, but I don't want them to have holes in them or anything. Sure. So I go out and I do the same thing whenever, you know, once a month, at least I go to a Goodwill and buy every, Disney movie they have that's in an even decent clamshell at 99 cents each mm-hmm. and then take them home and go through them and clean them up a little. I throw, I throw air bud in the trash because <laughs> it seems like most of them are air bud for some reason. <laughs> and then, <laughs> yeah. You're not getting the classics. You're getting air no, bud. <laughs> no. And unfortunately, and the classics are the ones that are usually damaged anyways, but the air buds are pristine. I mean, <laughs> they're, they're still, they're still intact. So so you know, so then yes. I have to tr- I transfer them over and I put my insert in them and I and I put the cassette in and I lovingly put a sticker inside each one and write a little handwritten note and pack them up. So and, so this works because it's 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 a cottage industry, if you will. Uh, it it is, and it's but it's it's a big industry right no, now. No, it's a huge industry. No, no, big. but when I say but for you specifically, it's like a it's like a a mom and pop operation because if oh, yeah. all of a sudden you had two thousand. I have to. I need to buy two thousand claim cases. You'd be like, uh, I, I, I can't. 
Yeah, it would. I would have to have a team of people to go to every Goodwill store and from here, between Las Vegas and LA. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So no, <laughs> and and even finding the VHS now has gotten really hard. Like I have people reach out to me regularly because they see me releasing the colored editions and they want to do that with their films. Sure. And they want to how how did you find these it's, yellow tapes or now it's orange. I've had a couple, multiple people cause I did an edition on orange cassettes mm-hmm. with Hall with Halloween coming up. A bunch of people want to find orange cassettes. I said, look, I, I, I was lucky enough about a year ago. I found a place out of, out of LA, like in the Valley that was, that had some, and they had about 50 of every color that, that they'd ever stocked. And I just bought all of them because I knew that I might not find them ever again. So now I'm dwindling down, but I originally just bought, their entire stock of it was like 380 blank VHS tapes in various colors. That's amazing. So, so the, but there are obviously there's still duplication houses. There's people that still can duplicate VHSs and stuff like that. And you're just finding, um, you're just finding the colors. I mean, it's pretty, it, you could tell there's a lot of love here. There is. And it may be that, I mean, I hope that that translates too. I mean, cause that's a big deal for me. I mean, self-distributing, some people don't realize it, but the, it's really me. Like I'm the one, if anyone goes huh. to poolpartymasker.com and buys anything, I, it's, I'm the one, it's either me or my 11 year old son mm-hmm. that, that are going to pack that order. And like I said, I handwrite a little note on every sticker and every single order and I seal it up and I drive it to the post office. Like it's really me. I mean, I love the illusion that it's not sometimes like people like to think mm-hmm. like I like to create, that like I treat the movie like it's Star Wars. I say that when I'm at which which I've heard you say, which was funny because that's what I was always said in the beginning. I'm like, look, it's my this is my Star Wars. It's not a, as good as Star Wars. It's nothing like Star Wars, but for me, this is my this is my Star Wars. So I'm going to treat it like that, and I'm going to you know do the best, present it in the best light that I can, which is why I have all the different merchandise, and I go to a convention and I have a this giant beautifully printed sublimated banner and movie props. And I bring my own tablecloth and, and, and because I remembered going to conventions and seeing the indie filmmaker who didn't even bring a tablecloth and would have a stack of 10 DVDs and himself <laughs> sitting in a chair, hoping that you would walk over and buy their movie. And I thought, man, this guy knows nothing about so, marketing. So then you are, are, you are going to festivals and, and conventions and stuff like that and selling just literally oh. hustling it. Definitely. Yes, completely. I mean, I did a fe- like a proper festival run when the, when the movie was done mm-hmm. and, and that was great. And that's got us some exposure and, you know, I got to meet a lot of people and I recommend that to everyone if they can mm-hmm. to do a festival run and to go to every festival that you can, because mm-hmm. that, that was great. But then, yeah, I continue because it's horror and it's luckily enough, it's this genre where people are obsessed with and we have functions and we have conventions mm-hmm. unlike romantic comedy they don't have romantic comedy conventions but in horror we have no shortage of conventions and events around the world so yeah so i i go to as many as i can and i set up a pool party massacre booth and i bring blu-rays dvds vhs's shirts hats stickers beer koozies action figures i mean i have a ridiculous amount of merchandise so you got all this merchandise made from i'm I'm assuming multiple different places yes and oh yeah and you sell it, and, and so I'm assuming you've made probably more money from selling ancillary products than you did from selling the movie, or is it even? Um, no, I think at this point it would probably be more. In the beginning, 
it was the movie mm-hmm. for sure. And now that I now I think it's the ancillary project products have caught up and even passed the movie because it's once somebody buys the movie, if they are a fan of it, they're not going to buy a second copy of the Blu-ray. Right, but they, they will buy a poster. It, but they will buy a poster, and then next, then when I release a shirt, they'll get a shirt. And if they like, you know, and then I might really, I just release lunch boxes for back to school. Mm-hmm, obviously. So, so yeah, of course. Obviously, because <laughs> so, that's so a, the, that's a, that's the lunchbox I'm sending with my daughters <laughs> yes. to first grade. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I assume that's why there's one and there's three in the mail to you <laughs> right now. Um, but, but yeah, so and and a lot of it is like tongue in cheek in a sense. Like I, I get that it's ridiculous. Like I know oh, that course. the movie doesn't deserve to have any of this. And that's why I do it because I wish the movies that I loved that fit into this world had all of these things. So that's when I say it's like my star Wars. I mean, you know, I'm going to give it all of the, if I could afford to, I would make, you know, bed sheets and pillowcases and I would, I would do everything because I think it's hilarious. And if people want it, that's great. Yeah, I mean, you're talking to a guy who published an art book of his first short film. <laughs> nice, yes. <laughs> so you get it. I, dude, I, this is honestly like what you've done with your film is what I've always wanted to do with my films. I always wanted to like create multiple product lines. I wanted a Star Wars. I wanted a little Star Wars, basically. Yeah. We all do. Anyone who's ever seen, like, I want a lunchbox. I want action figures. I want to go to comic conventions and have my stuff up there with all the other guys' stuff. You know, it was always a, a a dream of mine. But the products, the movies that I made, just didn't call for it. They were just too generic as far as action or something like that, and they didn't have the following. But you tapped into an exact genre that the audience wants this stuff and buys this stuff on a regular. Uh, that's just their. That's what they want. So it's uh it's fascinating to see you do it and 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 continue to make money on this probably from years to come. I I mean I would hope so. I I, I don't know and I don't. I certainly there isn't a, a ton of money rolling in and part of it is because I am a part of this the world. I am a horror fan mm-hmm. that I end up not. I don't end up pricing things properly. Like I get crap from the guy that makes my action figures for me because they're all handmade mm-hmm. hand painted hand cast and he does and in this there's this whole world of um custom action figures and a lot of them sell for 60 75 dollars a piece and you know my cost on them is close to 30 dollars a piece and then i was selling them for 30 dollars just because i didn't think anyone so would what bi- so what business school did you go to i know i don't even <laughs> want to tell you what college i went to because <laughs> I, got, I got shut down but, right <laughs> But it was part of it was because I didn't think anyone would want it. I thought, look, I made this like crappy little low budget slash film. Who's going to want to buy an action figure from it? And part of it, the other side was just I like I should be thanking people for even wanting this. So, so I, I'm aware that it's ridiculous and that I should be charging it for more, charging more. Like I'm famous for like I hate to say this because now people are going to want me to do it every time they come, but. Like I give when people don't want the movie at conventions, I give it to, I make them take one. Mm-hmm. Like they'll walk up and I'll be like, "Oh, do you like low budget slashers?" Like, no, that's not my thing. I'm like, "Oh, let's see if I can change your mind. Have a Blu-ray." And then if they still don't look at it, I'm like, "Well, here, take a hat too, just in case you like it. If you don't like it, then throw I mean, it away." So we, we, need like, 
we need to uh, we need to have a talk off off air, sir. <laughs> this is this is no way to make a living as a film. No, I'm joking. <laughs> yeah, but it's worth. But I also joke that I'm maybe I'm not even really trying to make. I'm just trying to have fun. I just want to make movies. Right, right, and have you fun. know what? Look, I mean, I had a friend of mine who did a movie called Thanks Killing. Um, yeah, of course, Thanksgiving. Yeah, and he that was a joke. It was a joke. The whole movie was like a spoof. Like, oh, no one will ever care about this. And he made tens of hundreds of thousands of dollars off that movie. Yeah. And and then made the sequel, Thanks Killing 3, In Search of Thanks Killing 2. <laughs> yes. Um, and it was fascinating how he did it because he, to- he told me, he literally told me, he goes, I don't want to be the Thanks Killing guy. Like, I don't want, it that, I don't want that on my, on my gravestone. But then afterwards, he actually called me. He's like, I don't know what I'm going to do next. I'm like, dude, do a sequel to Thanks Killing. What's wrong with you? You're leaving money on the table. Just go and have some fun and make the movie. And he did. And I think, you know what? Uh, it's it's a, The definition of success is so different for everybody, man. You know, some people want to make just millions and millions of dollars. And other people just want to have a, a good time, make some money, make some movies, and move forward, you know, and, and do what they love doing. And and you are a, definitely a testament to to the love of what you're doing. You know, you're doing this absolutely for the love. You are a businessman for the most part. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sort of. Sort of. Um, and you're selling products and you're doing your stuff and you're connecting with your audience. And my next question then is, when's the sequel to Pool Party Massacre? It's it's coming. I'm, I'm imagining it's, soon. It's it's definitely coming. Uh, I had no intention of making a sequel. Of course with, not. When making the first one, I, I mean, I didn't know if I'd ever even make another movie again. Like, sure. I, you know, when you get a chance to make a movie, you, you certainly don't know if you're ever going to get another chance. Mm-hmm. So, but when you're paying for a six thousand dollar movie, chances are you might be able to get it done yourself again. That's true. That's yeah. true. But I guess if it was just a complete disaster, then maybe I would have sure. Liked of course, decided to be a barista or something. <laughs> Wearing your "I love '80s horror" hat yes, on, of course, every day. <laughs> but fortunately, it wasn't a complete disaster. So, and people, like I said, it, it has a fan base. You know, it's all relative, but there is a fan base for the movie, and people people like the movie and have asked for a sequel. And so, if if anyone's going to ask me for one, I then I'm going to give them one. So it's. It's the script's almost done. It's been almost done for a year, but <laughs> you did the other one in a week, sir. Come on, come on. <laughs> but I, but I've spent so much time, like I, running this business, this pool, you know, the the online business, and mm-hmm. and it's it is a lot of work. And even though I joke about not, you know, not caring and how bad how bad at business I am, mm-hmm. I also I see everything as a marketing expense. I'm building. I'm building a brand. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So when I, you know, when I force someone at a convention to take the movie, then that's me hoping to win someone over and build, you know, I'm building this fan base and this brand one step at a time or one person at a time. So I'm okay not making money from it. If, if I can win someone over Mm -hmm. because I'm hoping in the long run that it will be a career someday and that my wife won't actually leave me because I can't make any money and I'm a failure, but <laughs> I, I see it as a long-term, a much a, a bigger long-term thing than making a movie and trying to, to survive off of it. So, so right now I'm building this brand and I'm building this world. I'm running for mayor. Obviously, and, obviously. 
Yeah. yeah, and so that's that's how I'm treating it, and that's why I'm putting well, all these things out there. Well, you saw – I don't know if you heard the podcast with Faith Granger uh, that I just released a little while ago about her making her Hot Rod movie. Yeah, I definitely did. Wasn't that was that fascinating. Ama- isn't it an amazing story? Oh, God, yes. It, and that's kind of what you're doing as well within your genre. Um, and, and she goes around literally – she's gone all in. Like she bought an RV, and all she does yeah. is travel – just travel the country to every hot rod festival and sells her movie and shows and it, screenings. And it's insane. And it's, I mean, and she is a testament to how successful it can be because hearing her talk about how many units she's sold. Oh, it's like, Oh my God, she's amazing. Like no, that's, I mean, and she's, I literally just had a conversation with her the other day. I'm like, you've got to have it up on digital too. She was like, I know she has <laughs> not put this movie up digitally yet. It's strictly DVD. Just DVD, not even Blu-ray, right? Not even Blu-ray. Strictly DVD. And that's it. Yeah. And uh, it's insane. It's ins- I'm like, you, please, please. And she's like, I know, I know. I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm going to. I'm going to. So if you get a chance to buy her DVD, by the way, on the making of it, it's like three and a half hours. Oh, my God. It's, I'm, di- I'm dying to see that, actually. So I'll definitely so buy the DVD just... I mean, I want to watch the movie as well, but I, I'm honestly more excited about the making. Oh, it's uh, amazing but, what she did. But so, I, I mean, I, and listen, uh, I think what you've been able to do, man, is is, is pretty freaking remarkable, dude. And, and I think you have a golden opportunity to actually start building out a business, a real business around this genre of horror movies where you can pop these out for five or six grand once you get a system in place. And and start knocking these out and start building up the catalog and start doing stuff. I mean, you can knock out a, a couple of these a year if you start popping them out properly. In a market like Vegas, where you have all the connections and all the resources, man, I think you can. And then when you can start and then every time you go to those conventions, you have more and more product to sell. Uh, and then of course online. Sure. Of course. And that's kind of, you know, if I if I was gonna take the time to make a business plan, then then that's what it would be. I mean, that's what I want. I want to keep making movies. I might, I might up the budget a little bit. Who knows? Maybe someday I'll make, someday I'll make a twenty five thousand. Stop it! Movie. Stop it! You're insane. Stop it! That's <laughs> I know crazy. it's crazy. It's but, crazy talk. <laughs> but yeah, so but that's what I want to do. You know, I want to make I want to make the kind of movies that I that I like to watch and you know and make then and my friends like to watch and somehow if I can survive if I can pay my bills and my kids can can still eat. And I can continue to do this. That would be amazing. It's, so that's it's, what I'm trying to do. Isn't it amazing? I'm assuming we're similar vintages as far as our age is concerned. Um, well, you you just turned 29 again, right? Obviously, obviously, yes. <laughs> well, I turned 41 two weeks ago. Okay, so we're similar vintages. Um, so I think isn't it interesting though how our definition of success changes over oh, t- over yeah. the years? Like your 18 year old self success versus now. Um, because my definition of success has changed dramatically, so dramatically, even in the last five to 10 years, um, it's changed dramatically. And I think you're in a place where you're happy and I'm in a place where I'm happy and we're not making millions, but we're happy. And in, in, our, in, in similar ways, you're providing a service, you're providing joy to your audience through your work and what you do. Uh, and I do the same thing. And, and, all you can really hope for in life is to be happy, really. And if you could do something that makes you happy and you could also help other people and entertain other people and, and have other people enjoy what you do, as an artist, I think that's pretty much the goal. Am I right? 
Yeah, I mean, one spot on. Like, if I, I just want to, you know, I want to, I want to have fun, and I want other people, I want other people to enjoy what I'm doing. Like, that's, that's it. That was my goal with this movie, and it's my, my long term goal. That's awesome, dude. That's awesome. Well, I'm gonna, listen, I'm going to ask you those questions that you're scared of. The oh no! I was that, gonna pre- I was gonna prepare for him too, but not. But of course you didn't. So here no. you are. <laughs> of course not. <laughs> what advice would you give a filmmaker wanting to break into the business today? I mean, I think I'm more in a position of seeking advice than giving advice. I mean, we've already established that I'm Listen, a horrible businessman. You have made a movie. You are selling a movie, and as of right now, I'm assuming it's in the black. It is. So, my friend, you are in the top 1% of 1% of filmmakers who ever have an idea to become a filmmaker. So, you have some advice to give. I guess. Like for, <laughs> I'm like guess. the Tony Robbins. I'm trying to build yeah. you up. I'm Tony Robbins, you, dude. You know what, Alex? You're right. I do. I do have advice. <laughs> I'm good enough. I'm, be- I'm bad enough. And gosh darn it, people like me. <laughs> I mean, I think what works for me and maybe this wouldn't work for everyone else, but a big thing for me was just like not, was not being afraid to fail. was not being afraid to, to suck. Like the people, the people that I work with that are much more talented than I am and probably have better ideas than I do are, but they're afraid to do it because they're afraid they're going to fail and they're not going to make Pulp Fiction. Like they were, their first movie is not going to be amazing. And here I am, I'm like, who, maybe I'm too, lean too far in this direction, but I say, who cares? Like, I don't care if no one likes the movie, but me, I'm, I can say that I made a movie. And to me, that's like such a huge achievement that that's my first goal is just making a movie and saying that I completed a movie and it's actually done. Like mm-hmm. that's, that's my goal. So, and I, and if it sucks, it sucks. I'll embrace it. Like I'm, that's, I'm good at sucking. Like I suck at a lot of things. So <laughs> That's okay. If I can make a movie that doesn't suck, that's even better. But I'm not afraid if somebody doesn't like it. I'm not afraid of a bad review. I read I love bad reviews. Mm-hmm. I try to communicate with the people. I even actually said there was I was upset that I hadn't had a really bad review right when the movie came out, mm-hmm. probably because not enough people had seen the movie yet. But <laughs> I, I started looking for people that gave scathing reviews to similar movies to pool party massacre. And I reached out to them and asked if I could send them a screener copy mm-hmm. and, and, and did, and then got some bad reviews and I felt it made me, it made me happy. <laughs> so whatever, it was like, I could check that off. Like, okay, I just read, a, I just read a review that said that I should never make another movie again and I should be killed. And, Oh, that's you know, brilliant. Like that. like, Rad. I could check that off my box. Cause we all need that. But if I can get it out of the way now, early, like that's even better. So yeah, I actually saw that. I'm like, this guy's going to hate this movie. I have to get him a copy. <laughs> and I did, and I got that out of the way. So I think that's a big thing is not being afraid it's, to uh, do that. That's a, that's an amazing advice because that's exactly the, what I did with my first movie. I just finally gave up wanting to make Pulp Fiction. I just like, you know what? I'm just going to go make a movie. And, and, it was, and it opened up every single door that's open to me right now because of that. So great, great advice. Um, can you tell me what book had the biggest impact on your life or career? Man, um, every time you ask this question, I'm like, I'm like, geez, I'm, these people read a lot of books. Um, 
I, I mean, there's been books that I've loved over the years, and and I and I have read a book, uh, lots of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I and I think I don't know, like Rebel Without a Cruise definitely oh. had, had a lot of impact, and a lot of people have used it. Mm-hmm. And there's books like um, If Chin, If Chins Could Kill Bruce Campbell's autobiography, <laughs> that the whole the whole section on how they made Evil Dead would was you know, an inspiration and was a big thing for me. But I think if I had to pick one movie that summed up me better, you mean a book. Ins- you mean I mean, book. sorry, book. Yes. Yeah. Well, I think this one is also a movie. Um, it would be make your own damn movie. Lloyd Kaufman's book. Yes. Lloyd, Lloyd Kaufman. He's turned it into a movie and a radio play and whatever else he could turn it into probably. <laughs> Musical. But, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it always turned into a whole shape. There's also like produce your own damn movie, direct your own damn movie, cater your own damn movie. Like I think, He's got them all, but the the uh, the make your own damn movie. The first one it was a big inspiration to me, as was Lloyd and everything that that Troma does. Mm-hmm. It's, it's 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 Troy, uh, uh, and you want to talk about someone who doesn't care what other people think? <laughs> yes, yeah, good point. I mean, uh, yeah, Lloyd's Lloyd. Lloyd's amazing. And yeah. when I had Lloyd on the show, I mean, I was so taken back at how eloquent, how educated how well yeah. read that man is. He is an, he is an enigma wrapped in a riddle. <laughs> yes. Oh, oh, completely. And I've had the pleasure of meeting him several times and working with him. And I've been in a trauma movie. And so he's I've, a wonderful, I've, he's a wonderful he's, human being. He really he is. is. <laughs> he's an amazing person. And I'm sure he's not the person that my parents would want me to call a role model, but <laughs> Fair he enough. is definitely a role model of mine. So his book, I'm going to pick his book. Yeah, it's a great book. I actually, uh, it's an excellent book. And if anyone who's listening, uh, that is a great inspirational book to to read as well. Now, what is the lesson that took you the longest to learn, whether in the film industry or in life? Now, this one I did actually think about. Okay. And I don't learn lessons very well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm a fool in that sense. Mm-hmm. But there's one thing that I think I'm still learning, and it applies to like my life and to filmmaking. And it's kind of just to let other people help, to accept help from other people. It's something that I am not very good at, and not because I think that I could do it better. And I don't. It's not the if you want something done right, do it yourself mentality. It's kind of the opposite. It's like I, I don't want to burden people mm-hmm. with my wacky ideas. And so, mm-hmm. even if that's their job, even if I'm on set and they're paid to be the set designer, I still I'm like, well, you know, I think this idea could work, but I don't want to bother him. He looks busy. I'll just try it myself tonight in the middle of the night instead of sleeping and see if it works. Like those kinds of things. So I end up doing every most everything myself, you know, and it's and it's not it's something that you do out of necessity as an indie filmmaker, of course. But when you do it not out of necessity, it's it's just silly because you're already doing so much that if you have someone there that is willing to set up the craft service table why not let them set up the craft service table but i will still be that person over there setting it up got it when everything else is supposed to be when i'm supposed to be doing 23 other things so i think big thing for me is you know just letting letting people help me and someday i'll get it i'm still learning it right now now what are three of your favorite films of all time um i'm gonna pick because there's a poster right in front of my face, Return of the Living Dead. Okay. 
which is definitely one of my favorite movies ever made. And I found it when I was in high school and it had punk rock and it had zombies. It just had everything that I wanted. And it's just a, a cool classic 80s horror movie. Uh, the, I'm going to also pick the Greasy Strangler. First time ever on the show. So <laughs> that's good. <laughs> that's what I was like, I was like, you know what? I'm going to try not to pick Jaws. And for some reason, I picked the Greasy Strangler because I've, you know, in the short time that it's been out, I've watched it uh, probably 10 to 15 times since it's been out. And okay. I just am fascinated. I don't know if you've seen it yet. No, I have not. I have well, not. I w- I, it's, it sounds, well, just the title alone. You need to see the Greasy Strangler. Okay. Yeah, even just watch the trailer. It's not, it's nothing like, it's not, a, it's a newer movie and it's just completely bonkers. Yeah, I don't, I don't even know how to describe it, but it's not even, it's not what you're thinking right now. Whatever you're thinking, it's not that. It's a million <laughs> times better. So, um, yeah, The Greasy Strangler and The Princess Bride. Oh, The Princess Bride. Yes. I love The Princess Bride. It's an excellent, excellent film. I don't know if The Greasy Strangler and Princess Bride have ever been brought up in the same conversation. Yeah, in the same sentence, let alone yes. the same list of best yes. of. I feel like Rob Reiner might be mad <laughs> if he knew that. But still, <laughs> The Princess Bride is another, it's a movie that's not, you know, it's not even horror, but it's one of my my favorite movies ever made. And it's so quotable. Yeah. Oh God. It's amazing. It's amazing. Whoever who's listening, who's not seen Princess Bride, you need to stop the recording <laughs> and go watch the Princess Bride. It's an amazing, amazing film. Now, where can people find you online? Um, I, myself on any social media under Drew Marvick. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I'm on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter and that's the only ones I know about. I'm sure there's other ones I'm not on, but, um, uh, so you can find me through social media. I try to be entertaining and not, political or serious in any way. So, mm-hmm. uh, feel free to come, come follow my wacky adventures and then also pool party massacre. Uh, it's their social media for pool party massacre everywhere too. And pool party mm-hmm. as a hub where you can find all of our merchandise and see what silly product I'm going to unveil next with our art on it. <laughs> I just, re- I just released a koozie, with uh, my my wife is in in the movie, of course, because you have to like drag your family into everything you do when you're an indie filmmaker. Mm-hmm. And, and spoiler alert, it's in the she gets killed with a hammer, and so I just put the image of her getting killed with a hammer on a koozie that says "Let's get hammered." And it's just brilliant. People seem to, <laughs> people seem to like it. People like being hammered. They like puns. Of course, of course. You're hitting your demographics. <laughs> yes, like, I just keep making things that I would like, and your consi- your constituents. Thank God, I have a lot of friends. <laughs> yes. Drew, man, it has been an absolute pleasure talking to you, man. Thank you so much for sharing your adventures uh, in indie film, and uh, I hope it inspires a few people out there to go out and make something on their own, man. So thanks again. Yeah, thank you. I'm I'm certain. Sorry, I had to dumb down your podcast a little bit for a week, but but that's all right. I'll fix it in post. Don't worry. Yeah, yeah please. <laughs> or just have like a really good guest on the next one. <laughs> I want to thank Drew for being on the show. It was an absolute pleasure talking to him. He is a uh, part of the Indie Film Hustle tribe. And anytime I can get anybody from the tribe on the show to help the rest of the tribe learn, I'm all about it. So, Drew, thank you for being so uh, honest. Uh, with your numbers and and your story about how 
you put out Pool uh, Party Massacre. And if you guys want to get links to anything we talked about in this episode, please head over to the show notes at IndieFilmHustle.com forward slash 272. And for all you horror fans out there, IFHTV is going to have an entire horror filmmaking section for you guys. And the first thing up is going to be, I think it's 18 episode series, The Masters of Terror with interviews from some of the most amazing filmmakers uh, in the horror genre as well as behind the scenes, horror filmmaking 101, different genres of horror filmmaking. And it's just all broken down really, really well. So that's one of the many series that are going to be available on IFH TV. So if you want to be first in line to get access to Indie Film Hustle TV, just head over to IFHTV.com and sign up. It is launching November 1st, which is next week. And this week, you guys are going to get a lot of stuff coming at you about IFH TV. And uh, we're going to get some, uh, I know last week I only did one podcast. I'm sorry. I'm going crazy with IFH TV right now, uh, among the other things that I'm doing uh, and getting ready for you guys. But uh, it's going to be very, very exciting, guys. So I can't wait for you guys to see it. Oh, and by the way, if you guys are going to be at AFM this year in Santa Monica, I will be there for at least three or four days uh, during the whole convention. So hit me up, email me, ifhsubmissions at gmail.com. Let me know if you guys are going to be there. If I'm going to be there, we'll hook up, we'll get a coffee. Uh, If I got time, we'll sit down and we'll chat for a bit. Love to talk to the tribe as much as humanly possible when I get out there. So Please just hit, hit me up and let me know if, uh, if you guys want to hook up. And as always, keep that hustle going. Keep that dream alive. And I'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to the Indie Film Hustle podcast at IndieFilmHustle.com. That's I-N-D-I-E-F-I-L-M-H-U-S-T-L-E.com. Your Total Wine & More store is ready to serve you with our always low prices on an incredible 8,000 wines and 2,500 beers. Want it today? Try our same-day delivery or contactless curbside pickup at TotalWine.com. Whether you're grabbing your favorite beer or pouring a glass to enjoy an evening on the deck, Total Wine & More has you covered. Visit any of our 12 stores in Northern Virginia. Your Total Wine & More store is ready to serve you with our always low prices on an incredible 8,000 wines and 2,500 beers. Want it today? Try our same-day delivery or contactless curbside pickup at TotalWine.com. Whether you're grabbing your favorite beer or pouring a glass to enjoy an evening on the deck, Total Wine & More has you covered. Visit any of our 12 stores in Northern Virginia.